Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, June the 16th, 2023. It is currently 11.09 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And currently, I've got a new chair. It has seatbelts on it, right? Because I'm being told that we're in for a bumpy ride in this episode. I'm told that I better strap myself in. I better make sure I've got a helmet on. I got to make sure I have protection because this is about to get crazy. It's about to get bumpy. I've, I've been told that I need to probably take precautions to manage my stress. I've got a bottle of blood pressure pills. Okay. I'm joking. I don't, I don't have. Okay. All right. But I, I, I am ready. I think I'm ready. At least those who have listened to what we are about to review. They're, they're telling me it, it it's it's going to be crazy. So I, 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 I'm trying to prepare myself. <sighs> Breathing exercises. All right. Stay calm. Stay focused. You can do this. All right. Are you ready to know what's going on? If you were up late last night, you heard the late night broadcast where we talked about a Newsweek article. Newsweek.com. The headline for the Newsweek article reads like this. Pro-Trump pastor suggests Christians should be suicide bombers. Now, obviously, that's a headline that stopped me from what I wanted to do and said, you know what? I need to walk up the stairs, turn on the microphone and go live. I don't care if it's late at night. I need to talk about this because that is a crazy headline. What is going on? Now, I told everyone in that episode, you can go back and listen to it. That I was going to be very careful in what I said because I, I, I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, is this, is this just the news media getting this completely wrong and they're misrepresenting this pastor? Or is this an absolutely shocking thing that some pastor said behind the pulpit where he's basically suggesting that Christians should become suicide bombers? That would be frightening. That would be horrible. And I would need to expose it and we would need to condemn it. So is it the news media getting it wrong? Or is it something horribly shocking and, and unfortunate and wrong being spoken of in the pulpit. Which is it? Which is it? So we listened and they only gave us a 30 second clip of what the pastor supposedly said. And we listened to the 30 second clip and we play, I played it numerous times and I, I, I can't speak for you, but for me, I was kind of like, I don't think that's exactly what the pastor was saying. I, I think they're misrepresenting it a little bit. I, I don't know. I think they're, 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 they're not, they're not, being fair here. So I asked the listeners, hey guys, I need you to be my detectives. I need you to find the whole sermon and we need to review the whole sermon so that we have some kind of context because 30 seconds, we have no idea what was said before. We have no idea what was said after. That's not fair. And I emphasize this. So I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a few minutes here. I don't care if this seems repetitive to you. I don't care if you don't care about this. I'm going to take the time to do this over and over and over on social media. Christians do this. Non-Christians do this. And it drives me crazy. And Christians need to stop participating in it. 
Someone will take a clip from a sermon. It may be a minute long, two minutes long, 30 seconds long, three minutes long. They will post it. And then underneath it, everyone who watches the 30 second to say three minute clip will immediately start bas- bashing the pastor saying, this is trash. This is garbage. This person doesn't even know how to preach. This person doesn't know anything about the Bible. This person should learn to read the Bible and they just tear them to shreds. And I can't stand that because I don't care. I don't care who the preacher is. I don't care how, look, I don't care if it's some crazy charismatic and you know how much I hate charismatic theology. I loathe charismatic theology. I hate charismatic theology. I want charismatic theology removed from the face of the earth. But even if it's a crazy charismatic pastor, I'm not going to listen to one minute, two minutes of a sermon and then just start bashing them. No, 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 no. Let's take the entire sermon, listen to the entire sermon, and then offer a very complete, respectful, concise review and critique of what was said and focus more on the theology that was preached, the ideology that was preached, the bad hermeneutics that was demonstrated instead of attacking the person. A lot of times what happened, they'll attack, they'll attack the pastor's clothing, his mannerisms, his speech. And it's like, it's like, it's like little kids. It's like, you know, the mean girls in junior high. It's ridiculous. And Christians do this all the time on social media. It, It doesn't matter if they're going out for Stephen Furtick or Joe. Olstein, they'll talk about his smile, his laugh, his voice, his clothing. And it's just, look, that is so childish. So I can't, I don't care if it's the world doing it or it's Christians doing it. If, if someone has a criticism of a sermon, listen to the entire thing and then offer clear, concise, biblical criticism, not this mean girl stuff where you're like, oh, look, it's just, it's childish, it's juvenile, it's immature, it's ungodly, and I'm tired of it, and I'm sick and tired of it, and and Christians should get sick and tired of it, and you should call out the people doing that. Like, why would you do that? Look at these comments. This is not God glorifying. This is not God honoring. You're not benefiting anyone. You're just, it's tribalism. You're just attacking someone because they're not on your team. Ooh, they're not on team reformed. So let's talk trash about them. Ooh, wait, 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 wait. They're, they're, they're not on my team. It's just, just stop it. Okay. So I, I don't like when they do this. So I knew that's why at, at, last night when I started the broadcast, I was very careful in my introduction because I did. I didn't want to throw this pastor under the bus because I knew it was a thirty-second clip for crying out loud. You you could take thirty-second clips out of my podcast and out of my sermons and accuse me of probably nine hundred million different things, and and most of the time that would not be a fair representation. I get emails all the time saying, "You said this," or "You said this." And I'll go back and listen. I'm like, did you hear what I said right before it? Did you hear what I said three minutes after? Did you even bother to actually listen to what? You're completely misrepresenting what I said. So don't fall for that. So so it bothers me that new because here's a couple of things the Newsweek article did. They give us a 30 second clip and they don't even provide a link to the actual sermon. Now, the pastor that they're criticizing, I'm assuming this sermon's going to be really bad. I'm being told by people who've listened to it, this thing is crazy. So I'm assuming it's going to be bad, but we're going to critique it in a correct way. So here is the actual article, right? Headline, 
pro-Trump pastor suggests Christians should be suicide bombers. It was published on June the 15th at 2.22 p.m. Here is the article. A Christian pastor who supports Donald Trump recently delivered a sermon urging Christians to strengthen their passion and suggested they should be willing to die for their faith. Well, Christians have been preaching that for 2,000 years. As Jesus laid down his life for us, we should be willing to lay down our life for the gospel. We should be willing to die for our faith. Now, it doesn't mean we're saying strap on a bomb and go kill other people. It doesn't mean that we are willing to die because we're fighting other people or committing acts of violence. It means that we're going to preach the name of Christ. And if someone says, stop, we're going to say we can't. And if they kill us, they kill us. That's, it's about being willing willing to die by people uh, carrying out violence against us. In fact, it's almost the way way it's typically preached and more of a passive way that, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you back. I'm not, I'm not going to resist evil. I'm not going to fight back. I'm, I'm just going to lay down my life for my savior. That's the way it's typically preached. So just because someone says in a sermon, you should be willing to die for their faith, that is not equated to a call of violence. But they go on to say in the next paragraph, Regeneration Nashville pastor Kent Christmas has often spoken favorably of Trump, who is running his third presidential campaign and is clear frontrunner among a crowded field of GOP candidates. And last Sunday's sermon at his Pentecostal church in Tennessee, Christmas said the Muslim faith has become so successful because its followers are willing to die for their beliefs. The video was first reported by watchdog group Right Wing Watch, which treated, which tweeted the clip on Tuesday. And then this is the tweet from Right Wing Watch. Right Wing Pastor Kent Christmas urges Christians to get a hold of some passion and be willing to die. You want to know why the Muslim faith has had its advancements? It's because the Muslims are willing to die for their beliefs. They're willing to strap bombs to their chest. And then they have the 30 second clip. Now, in it, Christmas is seen preaching vehemently as he paces the stage. You want to know why the Muslim faith has its advancements? It's because Muslims were willing to die for their beliefs. They're willing to strap bombs to the chest, he said. Christmas then asked God to give the Christian faith some men and women with passion in their spirit who are willing to lay down their life for the gospel. And that's really the entire clip. That doesn't in any way imply that he's saying, hey, go strap bombs to yourselves and blow yourself up for Jesus and kill other people. I think that's a, a way, I think it's a false accusation and a misrepresentation. So I want to listen to the entire sermon so that we can see exactly what was said and that we can offer a constructive criticism. I know that I have made similar comparisons in my preaching. That, hey, you can't get Christians to show up to church. They won't, they'll either come to one service or no service. You can't even get them to go to church. They're, they're tired. They're whatever. They can't go to church. But you have Muslims who are willing to strap a bomb on themselves and blow themselves up for Allah. Okay. That, that to me should convict us. We can't get Christians to engage in meaningful, disciplined, systematic Bible study, but you've got Muslims willing to blow themselves up for their faith. You've got young girls or a young boy giving themselves over, say, to the Catholic Church to become a nun or become a priest, literally giving up their entire lives of marriage and dating and this and that, and and yet you can't get Christians to do anything. I think that that's a fair argument. I I think it's a million miles away from saying, well, you should become a Catholic or you should become Muslim or you should kill anybody. 
Um, okay, good. Uh, someone just says, yeah, there. Th- that's in no way, shape, or form saying the same thing. I agree. Okay, I, because that that was my conclusion after listening to the thirty second clip. But I still was like, you know what? We're going to at least listen to the whole sermon. It, it, it should be fine. Now, those who've heard it, they've told me <laughs> it is crazy. They've not given me any details. They just said to prepare myself. Now, that scares me, right? That scares me that, they, they're, that they're telling me. So we're going to strap in. I know I'm sorry we spent, you know, 13 minutes in this introduction or almost 13 minutes, but I want to just make sure we're all on the same page here and that we're going to do this. I remember the rules. I don't listen to the sermon in advance. I know a lot of people email me like, you should. No, because then that would come across as rehearsed. And I don't like that. I like it to that I'm listening to it in real time, reacting with you in real time. Sometimes that leads me by the end going, well, that was a waste of our time. That was horrible. Sometimes it leads me in the middle of the sermon, like sometimes I say something and then two minutes later, the pastor says something that makes me realize I was wrong and what I was thinking. That's going to happen. Uh, sometimes they're talking about something and I'm like, I have no idea what to say here. I don't even know what they're talking about. And I'm sitting there trying to do, I'm looking things up live on the air. But to me, it gives more of the vibe, which I'm shooting for because people don't under always understand. I'm going for this vibe that you came over and we're just sitting down listening to the sermon together. And then we're pausing, we're talking about it, pausing, talking about it, looking things up. That's what I go for. Some people get that. Some I get emails all the time. You should be better prepared for your reviews. You should do more work. And it's just like, you're missing the whole point. Okay. How many times do I have to explain it? Sometimes you just want to lose your mind. Just like, you know what? Never mind. You know, I've only explained it 9 million times, but okay. So once again, people love to just jump in and start commenting sometimes before they have any idea what they're commenting on or even who they're commenting to, but okay. So are you ready? Here we go. We're going to go to Nashville, Tennessee. I guess the name of the church, the best we can understand, or at least, at least best I can understand, is called Regeneration. I guess it's Regeneration Church or Regeneration Nashville. Um, the name of the pastor is Kent Christmas. The audio file here, I've amplified it because they, again, once again, recorded it at too low a volume. I don't know why churches do that. Um, the I think it's the pastor's wife who has just finished singing and she's, I think, I think she's just getting ready to talk. Like, I think she says something like, thank you guys so much for letting me do this. And then she says, Pastor Kent or whomever, she kind of introduces him. So it's going to be like a little abrupt when we come in. I didn't want to go too far and hear any of the sermon, but I had to get to the sermon because the first, I don't even know how many minutes, it seems like four hours of, of singing. Um, after four hours of singing, they finally got to the sermon. That's what it felt like. I, I'm sorry. It just took forever. Like I kept fast forwarding, fast forwarding, fast forwarding. I don't know exactly how long. Obviously, it wasn't four hours. That's hyperbole. That's exaggeration, right? So no, don't any, anyone quote me on that. But I think this should be, well, I don't know if it's going to be fun, but I hope it will be beneficial. All right. I, I'm, I'm a little worried about this, but only because everyone keeps telling me how bad it is. So <laughs> here we go. The, the sermon that Newsweek and other people in the media are claiming the pastor in this sermon called for Christians to basically become suicide bombers. 
I think we've already dis, I think we've already disproven that, at least from the 30 second clip. Now we're going to take that 30 second clip, place it in its fuller context and go, what exactly was he saying? What did he say in the sermon that was good, bad? We'll let him speak for himself so that he can be heard in his full context. We may still condemn the sermon, but at least the man is heard, right? Everyone deserves that. I don't care if they're a Christian or a non-Christian. Let, let's always try to assure that we judge people. If we're going to make a judgment, that the judgment is at least based off fact, it's actual, it's truthful, it's honest, it's fair, right? So that's what we're going to do. So here we go. Let me do that. Thank you, Gary. Pastor Kent. Well, that that was good enough. I think I might let her sing on my next album. <clears throat> Amen. That's for announcing my birthday right there. I may have reached a place in life that you really don't care about your birthdays anymore. Amen. Why don't you turn with me today to um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. We're going to read a very familiar portion of Scripture. Okay, we're going to Isaiah 59. Is anybody getting nervous? Isaiah 59, are you getting nervous? I always get nervous when pastors turn to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, any really of the prophets, because almost instantaneous, this is what typically happens. They quote it. They may mention something about Judah, may mention something about Israel, may mention something about the divided kingdom. And then inevitably within 15 minutes, Israel, Judah, the divided kingdom, Babylon, whoever it is, they get thrown completely out of the text and it becomes about Dun, 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 the United States of America. It becomes about us. Now, I, I understand there can be application for us as we're, as I'm trying to get people to, to understand first what is being said to Judah and Jeremiah, because we're currently studying Jeremiah. And then how does that apply to you? I understand there can be an application, but they will just almost turn the entire sermon into about our country or about us. And so I'm nervous, but Isaiah 59, do you know what verses in Isaiah 59 is going to read? Do you? Come on. What do you think? All right, I'm not going to wait, but you, you, can, you can write it down really na- right now. Write down your, your, your guess of which verses, and then you can tell me if you're right. I'll just have to trust you. All right, here we go. I would, I would like our church to <clears throat> begin to develop the habit not for me, but I feel like that one of the things that makes God want to come into our presence is honor. And I think we need to stand today in the, for honor for the reading of the word of the Lord. Now, usually people in churches love this. 
We, uh, please stand for the honor and for, uh, for the reading and honoring of God's word. And everyone stands and then you read it. Now, I'm not in any way, uh, I don't want to be too, too negative here. I'm in no way, shape or form saying it's ever wrong to do some kind of action to supposedly show honor and reverence to God's word. That's perfectly okay. It's, it's fine, right? Um, but... I just, I just, I'm just going to say this. I don't know where this sermon is going, but I'm going to say you can stand all day to show honor and reverence to God's word when you read it. But that's irrelevant if you then show complete a lack of honor and respect to God's word and how you misinterpret it, twist it, and make it say something it was never intended. You can stand all day, but that's not real honor if then when you preach it, you utterly destroy it and twist it and make it say something it doesn't. I'm more worried in how you interpret it and handle it than more if you stand in the reading of it before you start preaching it. That's my own thing. One, it's just an outward an outward symbol. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Over time it could become nothing. In the in the Catholic in the Catholic Church. When the, I think as the gospel is brought to the pulpit, or right before the pastor reads the gospel. So, um, as, because the, the other readings are done by someone else. And as the, when I say the pastor, the priest, right before he reads it, he makes a, he makes a sign of the cross on his head, on his lips, and on his heart. Basically, I, I, my mind, it make my mind ready to think and receive your words, make my lips you know, ready to proclaim your word and make my heart love and honor your word, right? It's just a little, it, you don't really notice it, but they, they make the sign of the cross on their forehead, their lips, and their hearts. And then sometimes I'll make a sign of the cross on, on the actual gospel and the lectionary that they're holding. It, it's, a, it's a symbol. It may be a beautiful symbol, but does it, what does it ultimately mean? I'm not, I'm not opposed to these little symbols or rituals, rituals that we do to try to symbolize something, but I always just get nervous when we're going to honor God's word when we stand to read it, and then we utterly destroy it in our interpretation and preaching of it. I don't know. You you may feel completely different about it. your church may do it. People typically love when you do that. It makes everyone like, you can hear the, in the crowd, like, amen, like everyone's getting excited because, you know, it, it, it feels like you're you're doing something. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just, I don't know. That's my own thoughts. I really would like to see us just begin to get to that place when it's time, if I have a scripture to read at the beginning, that we would just stand in honor of God. If we had a great politician or somebody come onto our platform, we would stand up. And how- No. <laughs> if I'm in church and you bring a politician to speak, I'm not standing up. I'm walking out. That's simple. Unless that politician is not there as a politician and he's not there as a representation of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, only if he is there as a believer and he's going to preach the word of God, not do a campaign speech, but preach the word of God. If he's there as a politician, represent, no, I'm walking out I'm, and I'm never coming back to your church ever again. I, in fact, I, I would never allow, I would never go to a church, if any church ever brought in a politician, I would walk out and never come back. I would not, I would not even answer your phone calls if you ever called me again, because that's just ridiculous. All right. So no, we, I would not stand if a great politician came into my church. I would not under any circumstance. I would not.
So, all right. Yeah, I get a little fired up because I get tired of churches allowing their platforms to be used by politicians so that politicians can use the church to promote themselves and get elected. It's trash, it's garbage, and it's wrong. How much greater than a Solomon or a Moses, hallelujah, or a Daniel is in this house is the presence of God. And this is the living, breathing word of the Lord. And uh, we thank the Lord that he has somehow miraculously down through the millennials of time not allowed the devil to make this book disappear. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a hallelujah, and, a, and it, it, he hides it in his heart. David said, I hide it in my heart so I won't sin against thee. So this is a, a familiar verse out of Isaiah chapter, uh, if I get back to it, Isaiah 59, and I want to just read verse, let's start uh, on verse 17. Speaking of God, he puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. How many realize that much of the New Testament is being quoted by writers from the Old Testament? If you go back and you study Apostle Paul's writings, a good percentage of what Paul is writing, he is reiterating what the Old Testament writers have wrote. He puts on the garments of vengeance for clothing. That doesn't sound like we just ought to love everything. He was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. This is the verse, or key verse today. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. This is what I want to extract. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now, Lord, we thank you today. I do have to admit, I know all churches are different, but I do love hearing people get excited when the scriptures are being read. I, I mean, I hope it's legit. I hope it's real. I hope that there's no pretense. But, you know, sometimes you like, sometimes as a preacher, you read or you say something from scripture and you just look out there and you're like, nobody seems to care. So it is awesome to hear like people like, yeah, whoa, yeah. And you're like, wow, they're, they're actually excited about God's word. Please sign me up for, to preach there one day. Now, of course, I probably would take everyone off, but it is awesome to hear. I wish Christians would get excited when Scripture is read. I wish they would get excited about truth. I wish I would get more excited about it, but I digress. Let, let's see where he's going to go. Now, I'm a little nervous because he basically just jumped into Isaiah 59. Now, I know he's just reading it. So I'm going to give him the opportunity now to offer the historical context, the background, who, what, what's being said, why is God saying this, who is it referencing to, the who, what, where, when, how kind of thing. I'm hoping he will at least ex at least give us that, and then he can just run off to where he's going. If he doesn't even do that, well, 
then we're all we're in for a bumpy ride. We're all, we're we're in for a rough we're in for a rough morning. All right, here we go. Hey, God, that we stand in the holy presence of the Lord. God, we rest today because you are not at rest. God, we have peace because you are the Prince of Peace. Now, Holy Ghost, you're a great preacher. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the Prince of Preachers. And God, the anointing that you've placed on me, now let it begin to be released into the people, into the airwaves, into the earth, to the nations, God, that your glory will rise. We thank you in advance that this will be an awesome day. In the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord today. God, God will re- re- repay us for those kind of moments. I, I... God will repay us? So if I stand for the reading of God's word, then there's a, a, a payment coming? Hey, God, last Sunday, I stood up for the reading of God's word. Where's my, he repays? Okay, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this theology. Maybe you are. I don't know, like, he's going to repay me. Like, how does that work? All right, let's continue. In fact, I have such a reverence for my Bible at home. I won't put anything on it. I won't set my iPhone on it, uh, nothing. I always make sure, just out of honor to the Word of the Lord, that it is precious to me, and I honor the Word of God. And now, I know a lot of people have strong feelings about this, uh, that they won't set anything on it, they won't even mark in it, they won't write in it. I, I, I understand, but... Like, I'm not going to criticize someone for that. My, my, like right now I have my iPad sitting on top of a Bible. I got books. I always set things on top of it. Um, I I see it as a copy of God's word. Like we don't have the original, right? We have a copy of 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 a copy, right? You know how that works, right? So we have a translation of it. So I don't know. Is it dishonor to... You know, throw it in my book bag. Is it a dishonor to put something on top of it? Is it a dishonor to, to write all over it? Is I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, I do. I do. I try not to. I mean, I would never criticize someone who, who holds to that, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. And uh, when we begin to read these verses, and of Isaiah, the Lord is beginning to speak, and it talks about, uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So the verses start out here, it talks about that God is armoring himself. He's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. He's putting on the helmet of salvation. When you are not going into battle, you don't need armor. But God said, I'm getting ready to enact vengeance. And I'm getting ready to give back to the enemy what they have tried to put upon me. said, I'm going to recompense it. Then this verse says this. When the enemy comes in like a flood. 
I know that some writers say that it should be written different, that when the enemy comes in, then like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. I, I am more prone to the, to the writing that when the devil comes in like a flood, because most of us have experienced that. So it doesn't say if the enemy will come in like a flood. It says when. It is inevitable. He is coming like a flood. Okay, so he obviously is not interested in what enemy that's referring to. He's obviously not interested in understanding what God is supposedly arming himself, you know, placing armor on to go after which enemies. He doesn't seem to be too worried in identifying which enemy, the context here. He doesn't seem to be interested in any of that. Uh, he's just immediately, I guess he's going for the translation, when the devil shall come in like a flood. Is is that referencing to uh, to the devil in Isaiah 59, 19? Is that, is that about the devil? Like, okay, I guess he's not worried at all. Now, remember, they, hey, we stood for the honoring of God's word, but we're not going to honor God's word now to actually take the time to figure out the who, what, where, when, and how. Now we're just going to rip it out of context, and I can do whatever I want with it. But hey, 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 we stood for the reading of it. Hey, look at us. We're going to get repaid for that. Now, I don't know. Maybe whatever you're going to get repaid for standing, it's about be, to be taken away from you, because obviously you don't seem too interested in the act Actual, I don't know, context? I don't, I, I digress. Maybe, 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 okay, maybe, maybe I'm jumping the gun. Maybe I'm jumping the gun. Dial it back. Let's see. Let's give him the opportunity to actually give us some kind of historical context of the who, what, where, when, and how about what actually is being said. All right, let's give him the opportunity. Here we go. There are times in our lives where we deal with the little foxes. We deal with the annoyances of life, or we might deal with a temporary setback, or we might feel like we're walking through a, a valley for a couple of days, but then there are those moments in time where the devil is not coming to harass you. He is coming to extinguish you. He is coming to put out the lamp in your life. He is going to hit you with everything. He empties his gun on you. He comes with everything that he's got because he wants to make sure that when he's done, you are not breathing. That's what this verse is about. When the devil comes in like a flood. Now, he literally just said, that's what the verse is about. When the devil comes in like a flood, he just, he just literally obliterated any context, obliterated any historical context, obliterated any textual context at all. Now, I would challenge you today, because obviously this is taking up where I should typically do a today's focus. Today's focus, I want you to figure out the historical context in Isaiah 59. What's going on? Who is God referencing? What is this talking about? What period of time? Is this something that's already been fulfilled in history? Or is he talking about something God's going to do in the future that he hasn't done yet? What is happening here? Figure out the who, what, where, when, how. Because I can guarantee you what he just said the verse is about. This is about when the devil comes in and tries to stop you from breathing First and foremost, do we believe God is in charge? Can the devil do any, anything to me without the permission of God? 
That's the first question, yes or no. Clearly, he couldn't do things to Job without God's protection. So can Satan do anything with me without God's uh, permission? All right, let me state it this way. Okay, let me state this. I stated that incorrectly. Let me correct myself. When we read the book of Job, Satan couldn't do anything to Job without God's permission, right? God was protecting Job, and, and then he only allowed Satan to do what God allowed him to do. And God set the entire thing up in the first place. So when it comes to your life, what do you believe? I know Satan is roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but can Satan do anything to a believer without God's permission? Now, that to me is the bigger question. Why then would God give Satan the permission to come in, like, well, using his quoting of Isaiah, like a flood, emptying all of his gun on you, trying to keep you from breathing? Why would God do that? I mean, that, that, that's a good question. I mean, that, that's the deeper theological question. But he is saying Isaiah 59 is about when the devil comes in like a flood, then the spirit, as he is quoting it, then the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Is this a reference to your life, my life? Hey, when the enemy comes into our life, or is this a reference to that historical setting that, hey, when the enemy comes in on, on you, is it referring to Israel, Northern Kingdom, Judah, Southern Kingdom? Is it referring to a time uh, in their history? Is it referring to something in the future? Hey, there's going to come a time when the enemy comes in upon Israel and I will raise up a standard against him. Which enemy? What what is this referencing? All right, let's 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 listen. I mean, remember a few years ago they called it the five hundred year flood. We didn't know it was coming. The news didn't tell us. The Weather Channel didn't say there's a big flood coming. It's the granddaddy of them all. I got up like any other day to come to church on a Sunday morning, dressed, opened my garage door, and water's beginning to come into my house from my basement. When we begin to realize the severity of this flood, everything was covered up. I saw buildings floating down Briley Parkway in front of the Bass Pro Shop. Homes destroyed. 13 feet of water in the Opryland Hotel. The Opry Mills Mall completely flooded with over 13 feet of water. Took several years to rebuild it. That's what the enemy wants to do to the nations right now in the earth. What we experienced with the coronavirus was a flood of hell that showed up without warning. We came into that year expecting like any other year and all of a sudden we're being told if you don't take a shot you're going to die that there's a virus that's going to extinguish two thirds of humanity life is over can I tell you when the enemy comes in like a flood God for the Lord himself shall raise up a standard. So Isaiah 59 gets us to the coronavirus. Oh boy. Hey, 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 hey. But we stood to honor God's word. Hey, hey, we stood to honor God's word. I mean, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. 
Okay. Let's just see where he goes. There's so much I could say here, but let, let's let's just see. See, uh, they the news media is like, hey, he's calling for Christians to be suicide bombers. I, I think maybe if they listen to the entire sermon and find out there's a, probably a whole lot other things wrong with this way before they're m- m- ripping something. The, the news media ripped his sermon out of context as the sermon is ripping scripture out of context. Nobody ever wants to put anything in its proper context and be fair and offer a fair critique. That may be the story here, but let, let's, let's see where this sermon goes. Against it. I have learned that when I am thrust into battle, God is not sitting at home saying, you're on your own, fella. I hope you come out all right. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff are becomforting me. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Though a thousand fall on my right hand and ten thousand on my other The Lord is my sword, my shield, my comforter. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God says, I'm in the battle. Okay. Just some theological questions. Well, then you don't have nothing to worry about because God's going to protect you. Uh, So if God's going to protect you, and if you're talking about literal physical protection, I don't know why Christians are so pro-gun. Why do we need a gun? Right? Why? And if God's going to do all this for you, then why does the enemy ever get to you? Why wouldn't he just take out the enemy before he ever gets to you? Why does he let the enemy get to you? And then God rises. So God lets the enemy get to you, and then he comes in to get rid of the enemy, and then he protects you. But why would he lever? Okay, we could ask all kinds of questions here. All right, but I just, I always find it. God is my protector. He's my shield. 10,000 will fall on my right hand. He, nothing will touch me. God. And then we're like, hey, don't mess with our right to bear arms. And hey, most churches have armed security. And most churches have armed church members to protect the congregation in case a shooter comes. Why? If the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard and he will stop the enemy. So why do we need a gun? I mean, I I often ask that question because sometimes Christians quote all of this and then they're the most pro-gun people you can find. I, I Sometimes I don't. Well, no, no, no. I mean, God will use you. Oh, so I'm the standard he's going to raise up and it's me. So like, okay. All kinds of questions we could have there. But all right. Okay. Um, clearly, we're not going to get a lesson on Isaiah 59 today. Obviously. Obviously, I don't even know why he even bothered to quote Isaiah 59, other than it's got that cool sounding language, right? When the enemy comes in like the flood, like a flood, God will raise a standard. He will lift a standard against him. I guess that preach is good. I, I, I don't know. Well, I, I wonder if we stopped preaching it that way and we put it back in its historical textual context. I wonder if maybe it wouldn't be as cool or as awesome. I don't know. That's your job today. I would love to see what you find. All right, here we go. Let's continue. Hallelujah! Be still and know I am God. For the Lord will fight your battles. And so there are those moments, those life-defining moments. Sometimes they last for months. It's in those moments that when 
we feel like we're being overwhelmed. You don't prepare for things normally that you're not expecting. How many know that? So when floods come, floods are unusual. Tsunamis, they're unusual. You know what makes a tsunami happen? It's when the foundations of the, earth, of the ocean come under attack and begin to be disturbed. And it causes this upsurgence in the water. And when a tsunami comes, I remember several years ago seeing that tsunami. I forget which nation it hit, but it just came in. Tsunamis can have waves of 100 feet. And what they do is they cross over their bounds. They get out of where they're supposed to be. Waves, the ocean should not be there, but it is. And it's powerful. How many can remember a tsunami that has come through your life? Most of us can name the year, the moment, the season. And what's amazing about them is you never forget them. What's amazing is that you've taken Isaiah 59 and you've forgotten the original audience. In fact, you've not even acknowledged their existence. You've not even bothered to deal with how this applies to them in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what you've demonstrated is literally no honor and reverence and respect for God's word. But hey, you stood as you read it. So I'm glad you honored it that way. Wouldn't it be better if you honored it and actually, I don't know, dealing with what in the world is going on in Isaiah 59? Some idea, some context of what's happening here? Some context? Who it's possibly about? I mean, is there any way to know what's going on here? All right, I, I, but I digress. All right, here we go. None of us really should be here today. If it was not for God, I should not be on this platform right now. Hallelujah. But for the mercy of God. And when we were in that dark time... And the hordes of hell showed up like a flood. And there was this concerted attack. They said, I'm going to take you out. God stood up. And here he came. And he was carrying the standard. You know what the standard is? It's the battle flag. It's the ensign that represents the army that is behind it. And history says that the man that carried the battle flag was the first one that went into battle. I will go before you, says the Lord. Hallelujah. I will not stand in the river of the, of the battle, but I will go before you. You may not realize it right now, but in front of you, hallelujah, if 
God would open our eyes, we would see Jehovah Jireh walking before us as regeneration nation is going forth into its purpose. What's going on? He's carrying the standard. He's carrying the flag. What is he doing? He said, I'm going into battle. I'm going to be the first one because I am raising up a battle cry that is going to tell the enemy, no, 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 you will not destroy. You will not shake the foundations of the church. Sometimes when I hear these things, I mean, like this is just like, it's just, a, I mean, this has nothing to do with Isaiah 59. Now it's just like, I don't know, just uh, whatever this is. Sometimes this is where I just like, I say, you know what? I, I give up. I give up. I give up. Because I guarantee you, if we go check numbers, I bet you they have more downloads, more streams. Who knows how many people attend that church? And you can try your best to stay faithful to the text, just preach the text, go in depth with scripture, and you will not get anywhere near the crowds. You will get nowhere near the downloads. You'll get nowhere near the streams. You'll get nowhere near the church attendance. But you can just go absolutely out of your mind. No worry about what the text actually says, and people will flock to it. And it's like, what's it's it, from a human perspective, you're like, what's the point in even trying to study the text? You don't even need to study the text. I mean, what he didn't need to study anything. Just rip a verse out of context and just, just start talking and just be, just make sure you've got passionate language. You are, are articulate and expressing emotion. You use every cliche and just, you know, worn out phrase that's been used a million times in Christianity. Just say that. Everyone will clap. Everyone will get excited. And nobody will leave that church going, man, I sure wish I would have understood Isaiah 59 today. No, they'll walk away thinking they actually learned Isaiah 59. We know we will survive because the Bible says, nevertheless, the foundations of God stand sure, having this seal, for the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everything, let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The coronavirus and the hellish agenda that came loose on us three years ago was a flood against humanity. And God said, no. God said no. He let it all happen. What do you mean? He said, he said no. After all of the years, like, what are you, what are you even talking? What does this have, what does Isaiah 59 have to do with the coronavirus for crying out loud? Why are we talking about the coronavirus in, in 2023 in our preaching? That's still like, a, oh man, alive. Okay. I'm, I'm remaining calm. I'm remaining calm. All right, maybe at some point he'll get to the, the little 30-second clip that the news ripped out of context, but this is just maddening at this point. All right, this is maddening. I like, we can't, see, these are the kind of sermons that drive me crazy because we can't even really have a hermeneutical argument here, right? Like, he's not dealing with the text. Like, he read Isaiah 59, and then he's just randomly quoting scriptures, randomly quoting scriptures. 
No context in many cases, not even giving you the reference, not looking anything up, just because it sounds, it makes it sound spiritual. You just throw all kinds of scriptures out there, right? And then it's like, like if he was actually dealing with Isaiah 59, we could be like, whoa, wait a minute, everyone. He's got a different interpretation to this, right? He's got a different interpretation. Let's go with, okay, I don't know if I agree with this interpretation. Here's how I would interpret it. We did a little bit of that when we reviewed uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee on uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter two and three. He had some things there. And I'm like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. And then he skipped a lot of things that I wanted him to cover. This, I can't, what do I do? I mean, other than we just stop the sermon and go, okay, guys, for the next two hours, let's work on Isaiah 59. You know, I'm challenging you to do that. I'm challenging you to work on Isaiah 59 and figure out the who, what, where, when, and how. All right. But let's see if he'll, you know, let's get to where he gets accused of calling for Christian suicide bombers. And supposedly he says something really crazy about a bill passed in Vermont. Uh, I don't know if I have the bill. Um, do I have the, I don't know if I have the name of the bill here, but, uh, yeah, the governor signed an abortion and gender affirming shield bills and a law a Wednesday. I don't know that which date that Wednesday is referring to that are the first in the country to explicitly include protecting access to a medication widely used in abortions, even if the U S food and drug administration withdraws its approval of the pill. And so they, um, He's going to say something about that that supposedly is just a complete misrepresentation of what happened. That That's what we're kind of looking for. But I know the one thing we're not going to get, we're not going to understand Isaiah 59. Who knows? Maybe at some, maybe I've jumped the gun and maybe he's going to go back to it. I still will give him the opportunity to do so. But at this point, I, I can't really do much with this because he's not dealing with the actual text. And the reason that God is raising up this church and other churches like it is because we're going to make a difference. I'm taking a a bit of an odd turn today. Just an interesting thing. Just, Just something for you to contemplate. Every church claims God has raised them up. To make a difference for every church claims that every church one is Pentecostal assemblies of God Southern Baptist Lutheran Catholic everyone God is right everyone believes God is right not everyone can be right because you've got doctrines and theologies literally opposed to one another so why would God raise up all of these churches who don't agree on anything and in some cases on things that are utterly heretical Right? A one that's Pentecostal denies the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no way. No way, no way. God didn't raise that up. Obviously, a Catholic, the Catholic, you know, doctrine of justification is by infused righteousness. We believe imputed righteousness. So, well, who did God? Everyone believes God raised them up. Everyone believes God raised up their church. Everyone believes God is doing something in their church. Everyone believes they're doing it God's way. I mean, that, that sometimes is maddening. But, all right, just a side note. Just, you can... I struggle with that all the time, but maybe you don't. In this message, I want to go over just a few chapters into Jeremiah chapter 5. Oh boy, we're going to Jeremiah. Now, for those who've been participating in the Bible study exercise class, are you ready? Are you excited? 
It's going to Jeremiah chapter five. You're supposed to have already read that like 75,000 times. Come on, I've got a little bit of hyperbole. Are you ready, class? Come on. Are, are we ready? Oh man, we're going to Jeremiah. Okay, I'm going to save this. All right. Oh, oh, I'm excited. Are you excited? Are you excited? I'm excited. He's going to Jeremiah chapter five. All right, here we go. Here we go. Verse 22, fear ye not me, he's asking a question, saith the Lord, will you not tremble at my presence? This is what I want you to see, which have placed the sand for the bound or the barrier of the sea by a perpetual decree. That it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. And though they roar, yet they cannot pass it. So God said, I have issued a perpetual decree. That means it's not going to be amended. That means it doesn't have a time stamp on it, that it comes to an end. He said there is a perpetual degree out of heaven that makes this declaration that I have set the sand on the edge of the ocean. And it declares to these raging waves, you can rage all you want. You can make all the noise that you want. You can foam all you want. You can be as high and as noisy as you want. But at the end of the day, there is a perpetual decree out of heaven that says it stops right here. You ain't going any farther than this right here. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord uh, says there is a perpetual decree uh, that I have set a bound uh, around your life, uh, around this nation, uh, around this earth uh, that tells hell, uh, no, you will not go any farther. Obviously, he's not even remotely interested And what is going on in Jeremiah, he's not even remotely interested in what God is trying to say. If you go to Jeremiah 5.20, declare this in the house of Jacob and publish in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. And will you not tremble at my presence? All this stuff that he just said has nothing to do with what God is saying here. First, he's speaking to Judah and he's he's asking a question. He's trying to say, because of this, why do you not fear me? He's not, none of the things he just said had anything to do with Jeremiah chapter five. Literally nothing. He's just making up things, making up concepts, throwing out words, not being anywhere remotely fair to the text. He's not honoring the text. He's not showing reverence to this text. He's not showing respect to the text, but hey, they stood up at the beginning. Hallelujah! 
that ought to put a shout in your belly that tells you, though the enemy looks like he's winning, he is defeated by the power of God. Hallelujah. My God, I feel us moving of the Holy Ghost. There's something loose in the atmosphere. There is a bound of victory around us. What in the name of bubblegum is any of this? This is... Oh, man. Oh, man. Why do I get myself into these situations? We're, we're at an hour. There's no way I'm breaking this down to two parts. There's no. I'm going to at least go further. I don't know how much further I'm away from when he gives the quote that the news media jumped on. We're going to at least try to get to that and maybe a few minutes after. There's obviously no way I'm going to review this entire sermon. <laughs> I don't think there's any way. I don't know. We're going to go further. Maybe we'll have to stop this and break it into another part. I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to. I may have no choice, but let's go a little bit further and kind of see where we are and where he's going. This. Oh, man, this is so bad. got a letter. You can be seated. I got a letter. I I hadn't had a chance to read it, and I was reading it this morning from Precious Pastors in Vermont. And uh, if you're watching, God bless you for the letter. Thank you. And he said we, he said Vermont is now the second most liberal state besides California in the Union. And he wrote the statement, I have not had time to fact check this, so, but I'm assuming that he's, that he's telling, because he lives there, he probably knows what he's talking about. Okay. He acknowledges he hasn't fact checked this. He's bringing a letter into the pulpit. Now remember, hey, this is all about honoring God's word because they stood up, right? So he's literally obliterated the word of God. Now he's going to stand behind the pulpit. He's going to stand in the sacred desk and he's going to read a letter supposedly from a pastor that he has not fact-checked. That's getting ready to make some claims. Let's do our own fact-checking. No, I, I did not want to break this into another part, but we're, uh, we're going to. We're going to. We're going to. All right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let this claim be made. We're going to see what he says about this claim. And I need you to immediately start researching to see if you can find anything that would argue this is true or find things that clearly call this an absolute lie. The news media didn't go here. They, they went with, well, he he's supposedly calling for suicide bombers, which I don't think is accurate. This is what I was waiting for, because at least one of the news articles did mention he said something about Vermont. They say it's not true, but we're going to listen. And then I want you to do your own fact checking. And I want you, because I've watched this happen too many times in churches. Why do pastors stand behind the pulpit in many cases say things that are utterly not true. They offer conspiracy theories and lies. That is not honoring to God because the Bible, look, look, of all the things we can disagree in scripture, of all the things we can disagree in scripture, there are many. We should all be able to agree that we are not to bear false witness. 
We are to put away lying and speak truth with one another. Those are basic concepts. And I sick, I'm sick and tired of pastors standing behind the pulpit saying things that are fraudulent, lies, half-truths, misrepresentation, misinformation, conspiracy. I have heard that time and I've heard it so many times from the pulpit and nobody cares. Nobody can. You can straight up just misrepresent, bear false witness, lie, false information. And if you call it out, they're like, what's your problem? You know, you're listening to the liberal media. What's your problem? I don't know. Maybe truth. All right, but here we go. Let's see. Now, this is a letter supposedly from a pastor in Vermont. And he says, he's assuming, now he's giving assurance to his audience. Hey, I'm assuming he will know because he lives there. So he probably knows best. I haven't fact-checked it, but I don't really need to fact-check it because it's from someone who lives there. All right. And they wrote him an actual physical letter? That just seems odd to me. Who writes physical letters? Wouldn't you just email the guy? Who writes physical letters in 2023? Maybe someone still does. It just seems like an odd thing that a pastor is going to contact another pastor via an actual pencil, pen to paper, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and send it. Why wouldn't you just email the church? I'm assuming the church has an email address, right? That just seems odd to me. Okay. All right. Maybe, maybe I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial. It just, just seems odd to me, but okay. All right. So he's got the, it sounds like he's got the paper. Now he says, Mel, did he say email or did he say a letter? Okay. Maybe it wasn't email and he just printed it out. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but all right, here we go. Here we go. He said, Vermont just passed in legislature that it is legal up to 21 days after full-term birth that you can kill a baby. You can hear the audience's reaction. According to this, he's saying this in a, ch- in a sermon at a church, that Vermont just passed a bill that it's legal up to 21 days after delivery of a baby to kill it. Up to 21 days after delivery that you can kill the baby. You can hear the audible gasp from the audience. They're like, oh. Now I'm going to, we're going to play the rest of this. I want you to research this to death today. I want you to look and I want you to look and I want you to look. Now he did not fact check it. Now what should happen he, someone should have fact check it after the sermon and hopefully the following Sunday, he stands behind the pulpit, retracts it. You know what? They should have deleted the sermon. The, sur- the sermon should have been immediately deleted. If this is not true, I'm going to let you do your own research because I don't want to tell, I want you to see for yourself. It should have been immediately deleted from the internet. And then he should have came back, turned on the microphone like I do many times and say, Hey guys, I apologize. This happened. This happened. I got this wrong. I got this wrong. I had to, I had to turn on the microphone and apologize because used, used to versus used to. Right? Used to, used to. King James uses used to, used to. And I looked up the definition live on the air and 
like, like it's a, uh, and, and I, I don't want to go back all through it, but I was confusing and messed it up. And so I had to delete an entire message that was what, 45 minutes long because I confused the terms and used them incorrectly. And I looked up a definition and the definition didn't give me all the definitions. And so I was confused. And so I misrepresented what were the, the correct understanding of words. And I deleted that and then apologized. Not because I'm more spiritual. No, this guy's probably far more spiritual than me, probably more godly than me, probably far more committed to Christ than me. I'm by no means will deny that. But it's, but I cannot stand when pastors will say something that is proven false and they leave the sermon and they will double down. Now, he may be, if you believe he's right, then let me see. Let me see the information. That according, now, now, someone did send me an article, um, and that they, what they found was it was just a bill making that the medication widely used in abortions would still be, that would still be allowed. He's claiming up to 21 days after birth, it would be legal to kill a baby. That is a serious claim, everyone. And you can hear the audible gasp of the crowd. They're like, oh! Now, immediately, but they're immediately taking it at face value. They're taking it to be true. Let's see what he says. When the enemy. I am at war with evil. Hallelujah. This is one preacher that's not backing down. I can tell you this. I will give my life for the gospel. You want to know why the Muslim faith has had its advancements? It's because the Muslims were willing to die for their belief. They were willing to strap bombs to their chest. They believed in the afterlife. God give us some men and women that'll get a hold of some passion in their spirit and says, I will lay down my life for the gospel. Okay. Oh, boy. Now the quote, that's the famous quote. Now that just made me feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Because you just pointed to a supposed bill in Vermont where babies are allowed to be killed up to 21 days after delivery. And he says, I'm at war with evil. And then you talk about, you know, why Muslims, you know, advance, why, because they're willing to strap bombs to themselves. We, we need some Christians who are willing to die for their faith that or die for the gospel. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't say anything about preaching the gospel. You didn't say anything about sharing the gospel. You just talked about fighting evil. What do you, now that makes it, that puts it in a little bit of a context that makes me very, 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 very nervous. What are you calling them to do? We got to, we're going to, we're at war with evil. Vermont has a bill where babies are being killed 21 days. And then you go into, you know, why Muslims advance is because they're willing to you know, blow themselves up. We need some Christians with some passion who are willing to die for the gospel. But you didn't mention anything about preaching the gospel. You talked about at war with violence or at war with evil. That, oh boy, 
That makes me very uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what he meant, but I'm just saying now you put it in the broader context. It kind of gets a little different shade of meaning there. And it makes me a little worried. You just scared half of your church to death, them hearing that. They, they were an audible gasp. Now, is he saying people need to go to Vermont and share the gospel? And if they try to kill you for sharing the gospel, then, yeah, hey, you just let it happen. Is that what he's calling people to do? This thing was born in blood. It started with the death of Jesus Christ. Someone just said, when did Christ's kingdom become of the world so that we should fight for it? I, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, that's what it sounded like he was saying. Now, look, I tried to, def- I defended him with the 30 second clip that the news media was playing. The th- news media did not place, I don't know why they only gave a 30 second clip. You expand that out a little bit. Turn it into a two or three minute clip. And then that takes on a whole different vibe. He starts with this supposed letter from a pastor in Vermont. He does not give the pastor's name, doesn't give the church, which supposedly gave this information and then claim that Vermont passed a bill that a baby can be born and up to 21 days after delivery and you can kill it. Then he says he's at war with evil. And then he goes into this kind of comparison how Muslims will blow themselves up and we need Christians willing to die for the gospel. But he's not even mentioned the gospel. And you're kind of like, what are you saying here? And then he's like, this started in blood. Now he's going to talk about people dying. Okay, well, he's not he's not talking about how people have died for proclaiming Jesus. He's just put this in context with the bill supposedly passed in Vermont. And I still I'm asking you to do the research. I want you to see for yourself if this is true or accurate. Again, someone sent me one article about the bill that was passed, and it says nothing like that in any way, shape or form. Now, whether you agree with the the medication the, the uh, medication that's widely used in abortions or you disagree with it, whether you agree Vermont should or shouldn't, we, we can have that discussion, but we want to accurately represent it. We do not want to bear false witness. We do not want to speak lies. We want to speak truth. And the blood kept flowing with the 11 of the 12 disciples. And the one that wasn't martyred, they tried to kill him multiple times from burning him in oil to you name it. Down through the ages, there have been over 30 million Christians. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells the story of how they gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, just a side note, not to distract from where he's going. I do find it interesting when Christians ever, when whenever we talk about persecution or martyrs, right? It's always interesting. The, the, I don't know if you've ever seen this game. When we're not talking about persecution, when we're not talking about martyrs and people dying for their faith, right? Then we're very quickly, we're very quick to say, they're not true Christians. They're not true Christians. They're not Christian. That's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. Then if their churches are burned or killed, Christians are being martyred. Christians are being, all of a sudden now they're Christians. 
So Catholics aren't Christians until Catholics are being killed. Then they're Christians. Right? Right? You've got all of these different... It's always funny, like, they're Christians when they're dying, but they're not Christians when we speak about that. So are they Christians? I just find it interesting that we play that game. And what about all the people... How how many... When we talk about Christians being martyred, right? How about how many Christians killed Christians? How many when Catholics... Or because if we're all... If everyone's a Christian when they get martyred, how many Catholics killed Protestants and how many Protestants killed Catholics? I mean, that number needs to come in as well, right? If we're going to talk about people who supposedly killed us, how many people did we kill? How many people did Christians kill by passing certain laws to punish people for biblical sins? Right? I mean, we always talk about Salem and the witch trials there. How about go to London and England and, and the UK and Europe uh, and the witch trials? How many people were, were killed in the Spanish Inquisition? I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, I, I got no, I got no problem calling out the sins of that have been done against those of any religion and being killed for their religion, right? Because I'm, I'm a supporter of religious liberty, no matter what the, what the religion is. But I, I just, I just, you know. Just find it interesting. Sometimes someone's a Christian and then they're not a Christian. And then all of a sudden they're a Christian again. You're not a Christian because you believe the wrong thing. Oh, wait, you got martyred? Well, you know, Christians are being persecuted. Wait, you didn't believe they were a Christian. Like, it's so weird. All right, here we go. There has been a hellish doctrine that has gotten loose in the church that says God wants you to be happy, never suffer, never walk in sacrifice. But I'm telling you, there is a price to pay. And the reason we're in the mess that we're in is because we got too many lazy Christians that don't pray, don't go to church, don't fast, don't give, but they want the best that God has. It doesn't cost like that. I beseech ye, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto the Lord so question legitimate question at this point considering the logical progression of thought in this sermon Vermont passed a bill supposedly according to him where a baby can be delivered and killed up to 21 days after full-term delivery, after birth. And the reason why it happened is because Christians don't are lazy. They don't go to church, they don't pray, they don't fast, and they don't give money. So if Christians would pray, fast, go to church, and give money, then Vermont would not be able to pass the bill. LGBTQ movement would just go away? Is that is that your solution? The solution is we, we don't need to worry about voting. We just need Christians to stop being so lazy. Read your Bible, go to church, pray fast, and give money. Just a thought. Oh! 
I'm glad you're here, but don't tell me it was a sacrifice to come to church today. It is a privilege to come to the house of the Lord. Don't tell me how lucky we are. You ought to thank God that God has given you the privilege of being in the house of God. No wonder David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let me go to the house of the Lord. I told my wife the other day, I said, I can't figure out why they don't have traffic jams already out on Briley, on, on Old Hickory Boulevard of people trying to get in this building. I don't know where everybody is, but there's enough God in this building. They had to raise the curtains and put 3,800 people in because it is a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord. Either Holy Ghost revival is going to hit Vermont or all hell is going to break loose. But you don't kill babies. You don't kill babies. We got PETA hollering about puppies while we're killing babies in the back room. And then we're talking about how humane we are not so hallelujah you cannot take the life of children and let's just step on into abortion is a hellish tool from hell we are against it I don't care if it came through any other way it is not the will of God abortion is wrong what does he mean by I mean, it's, 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 it's a little, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm trying to make sure we're fair here, but either revival will come to Vermont or all hell will break loose. All hell's going to, what do you mean all hell's going to break loose? Well, I, like, I, I don't understand. All hell's going to break loose. I don't know what he's referring to. All the years that abortion was legal in in the United States of America, did all hell break loose? And wait a minute, wouldn't all hell break loose in the church since supposedly it's the church's fault that it was passed, right? It was the church's fault, right? Because everybody was lazy and they weren't going to church and they weren't reading their Bibles and they weren't praying and they weren't fasting and they weren't giving enough money. Say, well, what, what about if we were raped? Give it up for adoption. But I can tell you this. When that little baby comes into the world, it's not its fault that you suffered a horrible indignity of being raped. And may God in his mercy bless your life. But I can tell you this. You know, the woman sitting in the pew who may have been raped may say, maybe if God would, in his mercy, would have stopped me from being raped. I mean, you're, 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 sometimes Christians won't will deal with the difficult theological issues that are out there. Hey, if you're raped, 
Hey, you know, sorry, it was horrible, but maybe God in his mercy will bless you. Well, wouldn't God in his mercy stop me from being right? Like, that would be a good question someone may ask. But okay, I know that's not really what he's dealing with. But I mean, who knows? He's not dealing with the Isaiah 59. He's obviously not interested in dealing with the actual facts about maybe what is going on in Vermont or not going on in Vermont. He scared his congregation to death. You could hear the audible gasp when they heard about this. Then he kind of hints that we need to do something. And you're not quite, you almost a little like we should be willing to die. I don't know exactly how we're supposed to be willing to die going to Vermont. That's a little nerve wracking. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I, 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 oh boy, we're going to have to stop this in a second. Let, let's just, I'm trying to find a good point to stop this. And then we may have to, I, we may come back and finish it. We may not. I think you've got, I think we've been very more, we've been more than a, a fair with this sermon. All right. Let's, let's continue just a little bit longer. God does not condone abortion. We better come back to the very precepts of what made this nation what it is. We stand on the precepts and the righteousness of the Lord. We value life. Hallelujah. We don't take it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, now that's an important comment. I, I remember I said we would have to wait to after he made these comments. We don't take life. So there you go. That 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 definitely seems to not be calling for any kind of violence. See, the the news media left that out as well. Now I think the sermon is a total, utterly horrible train wreck of epic proportions. And there's so much wrong with this, it's not even funny, but we still want to fairly represent it. He literally right there says, We don't take life. So, all right, let's continue. Well, I was a little bit worried that when I got started, I wouldn't have enough content, but it looks like I might make it. All right, so we've started off talking about there are seasons where the analogy is massive amount of water comes in. Water is just as devastating as fire. The power of a flood can take the very foundations of a house out in a moment unless it's dug deep. I've been giving you the verse that declares but God said doesn't matter how strong the ocean is. I have set the sand as a barrier. And any rational logical, thoughtful person said, well, if God is so powerful to set a barrier to stop the ocean, why isn't God powerful enough to stop A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, N, Z, all of the other things. On one hand, you want to say, God is powerful enough to set a decree that it will not pass. But then you're like, well, but all this is happening and this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. Well, where is God to stop it? I mean, it's a, it's a rational, it's a, it's a, it's a logical question that no one ever wants to ask these tough, difficult questions in church. The sand is different from the water. But God said the sand has authority over the waves. So I, I, I'm getting to, I want to show you the power 
of who you and I are, and I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. All right, we'll have to stop there. Oh, boy. Um, You can let me know if you want me to finish the review. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to hang on. I'm looking for my, I'm sorry, I'm looking for my journal. I got to write down this timestamp. I'm going to cross that one out. Looks like minus 46, 14, just mentioned Genesis 22. Wow. I don't know what to say. I, I, to me, what stands out most to me is the supposed honoring of God's word by standing up to read it and then literally showing no reverence or honor for God's word. I want you to research exactly what happened in Vermont and did they pass a bill? Did they pass a bill that says a baby can be born up to 22 days, 22 or 24 days. I can't remember which one of you said 22 or 24. It's a number. I always forget numbers. All these days after delivery and then be killed up to 22 or 24 days. I, uh, I want you to research. And if you find that not to be true, not to be true, feel free to look up uh, the church. Look up the church. It is called, the name of the church is... Hang on, if I can find it. Um, it is called Regeneration Church in Nashville. Kent Christmas is the pastor. Feel free to contact the church and say, hey, in the sermon, they said this. This is not true. Are you going to remove the sermon? Are you going to retract it? Are you going to offer an apology? Feel free to do that. I would challenge you to do that. Not it. Don't be disrespectful and yell and scream and act a fool just saying the pastor quoted a letter. He said he didn't fact check it. Well, clearly, we've, I fact-checked it. It's not right. Why is the sermon still online? Or is he going to offer a retraction? Is he going to offer a correction? And if he's going to offer a correction, why would the one where the wrong information, why would you still have it on the internet? Because I would pull that thing down in 5.2 seconds. And then I would record and say, in my previous sermon, I made the following statement. I remember um, way back, uh, I was quote, I was preaching in Isaiah and that all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. And I said that the Hebrew meant this. And someone went home and they contacted me and they said, hey, pastor, that's not exactly what the Hebrew word is referencing. And I'm like, okay, uh, what, what was I, I Did I get it wrong? And they like, yeah. And I wasn't like, you know, a million miles off, but it was, so I got up the very next time I preached, apologized, and I deleted the sermon from the internet. I mean, I'm not saying, and I don't do that because I'm spiritual. I don't do that because I'm godly. By no means. Like I said, this pastor's probably more godly and more spiritual than I am. Probably far more. But man, for crying out loud, can we at least not bear false witness and put away lying and speak the truth from the pulpit? Can we at least make that the bare minimum standard? Now, pastors are going to mess up. Pastors are going to get things wrong. Pastors are going to say things wrong. I, I, by no means am I saying the man should be never allowed behind the pulpit again, but this sermon needs to be deleted and it needs to be corrected and amended. Because that's a serious charge against an entire state. And you literally had people in that congregation go, oh, 
and they're going to walk around and then they're going to start telling other people that. You just now perpetuated misinformation. Now, if it turns out to be true, then let me know. And then I got no problem standing up going, Vermont did pass this bill. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I wonder if this will spread to other states. How many other states allow you to have a baby born in up to 22, 24 days after birth, kill it? Like, then we can talk about it. All right, we'll stop there. Wow, well, that, that was bad. That was bad. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Please submit your Vermont research. I'd love to see what you find. And let me know. Again, the article that I have here in front of me does not mention anything like that. Nothing even close to that. Nothing even close to that. And this article was published May the 10th, 2023. May the 10th, 2023. Vermont governor signs first in-nation shield bills that explicitly include medicated abortion. Now, I'm assuming that's the bill. And I'm assuming it would be all over the news that, hey, in Vermont... Hey, I mean, I mean, can you trans? Can like if you had a baby and it's six days old and you said you don't want it, can you just drive it to Vermont, go to the abortion clinic, and they will kill it? Like that would have some serious questions about how this works. So there you go. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. I don't. I don't have any something. I don't have anything profound to say other than. Maybe the best way to honor God's word is not just some outward, meaningless display. Maybe it's how we preach it and teach it and that we at least make sure that we try to do our best, do our best to speak what is true, put away lying, and not bear false witness. Thanks for listening. God bless.